Just call on me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. Everybody, lean on me. When you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for five, six, It seven, won't eight, be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. Thank you very much. Great job. So today we're gonna look at the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. Uh, he's part of the lineage of God's people, the Israelites, part of the inner, uh, lineage of, of his chosen people. Joseph was the son of Jacob, who was actually renamed Israel uh, and became the title for God's chosen people, which we as Gentiles are grafted into, but we're not getting to that. Uh, one of the coolest things about Scripture, about the Bible, is that you can look at it from like a super zoomed out perspective, like a 10,000 foot view, and just look at it as a whole and say, what is the Bible about? And it's about God's relentless pursuit of us, his most treasured love creation, and that's you know powerful and life-changing. Or you can zoom all the way in microscopically and like one little Hebrew letter can change the meaning of a word and a scripture that uh, teaches us about God's character and his heart and his relationship with us. So whether you're like totally zoomed out or dissecting it tiny, 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 God's character comes through because it's his living, active word. So with that being said, what we're going to do in looking at Joseph's story today is we're going to be very zoomed out. I'm not going to go through a ton of detail. We're not going to break down like all these moments that happened in his life. We're just going to look at the timeline of kind of the entirety of Joseph's life. In fact, we're going to look at uh, a bunch of key moments that happened in his life. Five uh, very key kind of transitional moments that marked him in his life. 
Uh, You can find Joseph's story uh, contained in 14 chapters in the book of Genesis, chapters 37 through 50. Uh, So I'm just going to read those real quick. I'm kidding. We'd be here for too long. Uh, So so again, I'm not going to read through all those, but uh, we'll jump around and just get the highlights of Joseph's life. Okay, so the first thing you need to know about Joseph is that he was favored by his dad. You know, his parents were not supposed to do that. You know, when your kids are like, who's your favorite, me or my sister? And you're like... I love you both equally and the same, even though there's kind of one that you like a little bit better. I know, I get it, it's cool. You don't have to tell him, you don't have to tell him, but I get that. So, but Jacob, you know, the founder of God's chosen people, had a favorite kid. So if you do, don't feel bad, because it's all good. Uh, so this uh, Genesis 37, uh, beginning in verse 3, it says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children, because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. But one day, Joseph had a special, or, uh, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So, of course, there's some animosity. There's some tension in the family because we got Joe, the favorite, and then everybody else. And they they didn't like that. Uh, So they hatched a plan. First, they were going to kill him. They just like, let's go extreme, guys. We hate this dude. Let's get rid of him. Then one of his brothers, thankfully, was like, seems a bit much, fellas. So they backed it off, you know, from killing. And they're like, great, let's just throw him in this well and leave him. And then we'll tell our dad he died. And, and so that happened. So uh, uh, this is the next thing that happens. Uh, Genesis 37, beginning verse 23. Uh, when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. They grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now, the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Just as they were sitting down to eat, they were really casual about this. Like, Joe's in a pit, going to die. Chipotle, anyone? You guys, you all good? Okay, they're just very casual about it. Just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came to Joseph's brothers, uh, they pulled him out of the cistern and sold him, to, uh, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Okay, so Joseph... Didn't, one day he wasn't murdered by his brothers, thrown in his sister, and they're like, hey, let's make a couple bucks. They pull him out, they sell him into slavery. Uh, then uh, the Midianites get to Egypt, they sell Joseph to a guy named Potiphar, and Joseph becomes Potiphar's slave, his servant. Uh, so let's read about that in Genesis 39, skipping a couple chapters ahead, beginning in verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and its crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. Slavery. Uh, Joseph, good working guy, God is blessing him, and he goes from you know, being sold into slavery uh, all the way to being like you know, second in this dude's household. Uh, At some point, Potiphar's wife notices how handsome Joseph was, and she multiple times tries to seduce him, get him into bed with her. Joseph always refuses. Uh, One time, she physically attempts to get him into bed with her, and the only way he can escape is he sheds his outer robe and books it and runs away. She's like real ticked off about the rejection, so she has an idea. She takes the robe that Joseph slipped out of to escape to her husband and claims that Joseph tried to attack her and get her into bed, and here's the evidence. I have his robe. Potiphar flips out there. Here's what happened. Happens, uh, Genesis 39. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story. I don't know why he wouldn't have gotten a second opinion. He should have asked Joseph. Anyway, uh, he was furious about Joseph, uh, how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. 
That is a shift in the story. <laughs> Joseph, now in prison, uh, interprets the dreams of some of his fellow inmates, which actually we learned earlier in Joseph's story. That was something God had gifted him in, was, was interpreting dreams uh, as to what was going to happen. Uh, so Joseph interprets these two dreams, and both of the dreams come true, like to the tiniest detail. And so they're like, all right, there's something to this guy. One of the guys whose uh, dream Joseph interpreted, he gets out of prison, and he goes and works really closely right next to the Pharaoh of Egypt, which was the most powerful nation uh, in the ancient world at that time. Uh, this guy overhears that Pharaoh had a dream and wants to know the interpretation, but none of all of Pharaoh's like wise men or, or you know, advisors or whatever could interpret it. None of them got it. This guy speaks up. He says, hey, uh, uh, Pharaoh, I was in prison with this guy named Joseph, and he interpreted mine and this other guy's dreams like to the T. You got to go talk to him. So Pharaoh's like, great. Calls Joseph up. Joseph comes, interprets the dream of Pharaoh's, again, to the tiniest detail. All of it lined up. All of it came through and, uh, true, and this was Pharaoh's response in Genesis 41. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. By the way, this is a super weird bunny trail, but uh, here at the school, they're doing the Little Mermaid play. Uh, after this, and backstage, there's King Triton's throne, and I really debated teaching from that throne. <laughs> so, if you want to picture me on like the Little Mermaid color, a whole new world. Oh, is that Aladdin? That's the wrong one. Anyway, okay, moving on. All right. Uh, verse 41 Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in a chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh. No one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. And because Joseph was put in this position of leadership in Egypt, when a massive famine struck the land, Joseph had prepared for it because of his leadership ability and the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. And so because of this, Joseph saved not only all of Egypt from death because of this famine, but tens of thousands of other people that came from miles and miles around because Egypt had food because of Joseph. Not only that, he was also reunited with his brothers, reunited with his dad and family, and he lived out the rest of his life, his days in Egypt. In addition, uh, Joseph's story is really important when it comes to the timeline of God's people because it was in Egypt that God grew his people, his nation, from Abraham's family into a mighty nation just like he had promised Abraham. In fact, it was this rapid growth and the growing of God's people that made a later Egyptian pharaoh nervous, and so he enslaved them for 400 years. So there's the story of Joseph. We just hit the highlights, the big ones. So I want to review, uh, but I want to review so uh, and looking at how Joseph's highlight moments compare when it comes to an average life. Okay, so we're going to, I'm going to draw a line down the middle here, average life. So let's say this is an average life, all right? So this, you know, if you lived your life on this line the whole time, at the end, you'd be like, how's your life? You'd be like, eh. yeah, that's the, that's what that sound is, is this line. That's what that right there. So you're like, well, you know, nothing great, nothing terrible. Life was, it's a fun sound. I'll keep making it. Okay. Uh, so that there. So Joseph, let's, we'll, we'll get his events, you know, uh, whether they were above average or below average. So he started a little bit above average, right? He was favored by his dad. He was treated really well. His brothers hated him, but, you know, nobody likes their siblings. So his dad liked him. So he started, like, had he lived out here the whole rest of his life, it wouldn't be, it'd be like, yeah, it was good, it was good life, man. It was good life. So he was favored by his brother. Then 
through no fault of his own, just because his brothers hated him, all of a sudden, now he's way down here, just got sold into slavery, he gets transported to a strange land, not even close to his family, ostracized all alone, gets sent to slavery. So he took a massive dip here. Then, because of his like, work ethic, because God was with him, because he was diligent, faithful, now he's up here, he's promoted to the second-hand uh, guy in this guy Potiphar's home, who's like, uh, uh, he was in charge of Pharaoh's guard, so he was like a big dude. So now, you know, Joseph, I would say, even more so than here, his life is even better. He has responsibility, He's working hard. He's respected. He's like has ownership of stuff. He's making money. So that's going on up here. Then again, through no fault of his own, he's thrown into an Egyptian prison and ends up way down here. Joseph at this point was like, "I'll give me back here. I'll take this. I don't. This is low. I don't want to be this low again." And both of these, keep in mind, no, no fault of his own. These are not consequences. These are not punishments. Joseph just ends up here because of the people around him. Then, after he interprets the dream, he interprets the dream for Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, "Listen, you are literally the number two guy in all of Egypt." The most powerful nation in the ancient world next to me. This is quite the roller coaster of Joseph's life. And there are countless things we can learn from his story. Uh, but there are two things I want to talk about this morning. Uh, and I especially would like to speak to those of you in the room who might find yourself down here. That if you are in a moment or a season of life that is painful or confusing or difficult or uncertain, I would like to encourage you in two ways. I don't know where all of you are at this morning. There's a lot of people in this room, a lot of stories in this room. You might be just below the line. You might be way below the line. You might be off the scale. You're like, you don't have a whiteboard tall enough to you know, talk about the pit, the valley that I'm in right now. It might have been something very recent that just happened a few days ago. This might be a season that you feel like you've been in for years and years and years. And to you, I want to speak this morning. You could be in this valley for a variety of reasons. Joblessness, breakup, divorce, financial stress, relational tension, physical diagnosis, depression, anxiety, fear, hopelessness, and much, much more. And this can lead to living in a state of pain and confusion and anger and numbness and everything in between. And the first thing I want to encourage you with as we look at the story of Joseph is this. is no matter how painful or difficult your circumstances are, God and only God can absolutely use it for good. Regardless of our circumstances, if we surrender to him, he can take any situation, any pit, any valley, and use it for good. Romans 8.28 says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. As we follow God, as we follow Jesus, as we surrender to him and listen for his voice and follow for the purpose that he created us for, circumstances can't touch us because God can take anything and use it for good. There's a point uh, at the, near the end of Joseph's uh, story, actually near the end of his life a little bit, uh, or no, end of the story that we just read when uh, his entire family comes to Egypt, not knowing he was there to escape this famine. Uh, so, you know, he sees his brothers, he sees his dad, his dad thought he was dead, so his dad is like really pumped, he flips out. The brothers were a little nervous, <laughs> like, remember the brother we threw in the sister and he's ruling Egypt, okay, uh, be nervous to us. So they, they said, they like express. You know, they were like, we're really sorry, man. But they said it much, you know, groveling and stuff. This was Joseph's response to them. Now he's got the power. He could just, you know, end it right there, get his revenge. Here's what Joseph says in Genesis 45. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves 
for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Later on in verse 19, he says, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Some translations have Joseph saying, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So some of you, as you are in this valley, you are in this pit, maybe like Joseph, it was not, no fault of your own. Again, both of these you know, valleys, these deep pits that Joseph found himself in, he did nothing wrong. But Joseph has the kind of faith to say what you meant for evil, God actually was doing good. Imagine having that kind of faith and trust and surrender to God that no matter what we are going through, we have the perspective to say God can use this for good. Not just get me through it, not just grit my teeth, not just I'll endure the pain, I'll take the hit and I'll get out of here. God's like, no, 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 I can take whatever you're going through and bless you and the people around you because of it. I read a quote in a book this past week that just jumped off the page of me. Uh, It said, we know that God knows and that is enough for us. It takes a lot of surrender to say that. We know that God knows and that's enough. Because the truth is we might not ever understand, especially this side of heaven, we might not ever understand why we've gone through some difficult circumstances, why we might be in them right now. But there is a God and it is not us. God is sovereign and divine and in control. And even when we can't understand why or what is in our ways, we can trust that God does. Because his way are higher than our ways. Isaiah 55, the Lord says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We will not understand everything that happens in our life. We will not understand how God might use it for good, but we can trust that he will. If your child is sick, and the only way to help them is to hurt them more by giving them a shot of medicine, you would not hesitate to do so. You would not say, well, no, I don't want to hurt them anymore because they might not like me or they're not going to understand, so let's just let them be sick and hope for the best. No, you wouldn't hesitate at all. Not because you don't like them, not because you're punishing them, not because you want them to hurt more. You're doing it because you love them, and this is the character of God. That God might allow us sometimes to go through painful things, and we might not understand why, but we can trust that he can bring good from it. So even when circumstances look bad, we can trust that God's ways are higher. He has a much bigger perspective than we do, and there will be a day when we will see God's faithfulness, and we will look back and say, oh, that's what you were doing. You were preparing, you were working, you were transforming, you were building character in me. Now, I do want to be clear about something, um, is that God does not cause us pain as punishment, ever. Um, We might be tempted sometimes to think, gosh, I'm in this terrible season, I'm in this horrible pain, why would God cause this to me? Is there something in my life that I'm doing that he's ticked off about? No, no, no. God does not cause us pain as punishment, because all of the punishment we deserve for our sin, God already took that out on Jesus as he hung on a cross 2,000 years ago. So there is nothing in Scripture that would indicate at all that God would punish us, that would cause pain because of our behavior or something we're doing. That's not the heart and character of a loving Heavenly Father. 
Jesus took our punishment on the cross. The second thing I want to encourage you with, in addition to the fact that God can take whatever is going on in our lives and use it for good, even what might have been meant for evil, is this, and this is huge. Our circumstances do not determine God's presence. Our circumstances are not in any way a determining factor or evidence of whether God is with us or not. Again, oftentimes we might be tempted as we go through difficult, painful seasons to think, gosh, why God just abandoned me, just ditched me, or just left me here to hurt and be in pain. I don't sense him, I don't hear him, I don't feel him. However, the story of Joseph, Joseph makes it very, very clear that God's presence and movement in his life and in our lives had nothing to do with what was going on externally, what was going on in our circumstances. Had Joseph based his faith on whether God was with him and working on his circumstances, there would have been major chunks in his life when he just figured God just up and abandoned him for these seasons. And again, keep in mind, as I've said, these were not his fault. He didn't even have the excuse of like, maybe God's punishing me. He's like, I was righteous. I was good. You know, he's like, I fled temptation and I get thrown into prison for it. God, what's the deal? Why, why you got to ditch me like this? In fact, I would argue that according to the language of the Bible, according to God's living, active word, those of you who find yourself in pain or broken or in a pit, I could make the argument that God is closer to you. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Jesus himself spent his entire earthly ministry, the vast majority of his time on earth, with those who were broken and hurting and sick and ostracized and cast out. The religious leaders were ticked, like, what are you doing? Why don't you come to church, man? Why are you spending all your time with these sinners, with these broken, sick people? Jesus said, doctor doesn't come for the healthy, he comes for the sick. God lives down here, not up here. God lives down here. And again, I would make the argument, when you find yourself in a pit, when you find yourself in pain, God draws closer to you in those moments. What's ironic is that pain and difficult circumstances in our life, kind of paradoxically, they are both the number one reason people uh, disbelieve and run from God and the number one reason people run to God. When we experience pain and something you know, out of our control, the only thing we can do is either run and flee from something bigger than us or run and, and towards someone bigger than us. But if you're going through this season, you might be tempted to think, like, how could, how could God do this to me? Why would God allow that? What kind of God would be okay with the pain that I'm going through right now? But again, I would say it is in those times when God is closest. As I said, I want to make it real clear. I'm not belittling or downplaying your pain. Uh, my message this morning is not like, you're in pain, but God's good. Have a good Sunday. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, one thing I want to make really, really clear is that all throughout Scripture, we are never promised that by following Jesus, our life will just suddenly get easier. In fact, Jesus himself said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But the next sentence out of his mouth is what changed everything. He said, in this world, you have tr you'll have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. The promise of following Jesus is not, hey, you become a Christian, life's going to be great. Everything's going to go smoothly, no more pain, no more sorrow. You're going to get that job, get the guy, get the girl. Like, things are just going to be great. No, no, no. Jesus himself says, life's going to be tough. The difference is, though, I will be with you the whole time. The rest of our world 
when we have difficult circumstances, we try, to, we try to make ourselves feel better. We try to self-medicate with drugs or alcohol or sex or porn or travel or whatever. Like we, money, we try to feel like this outside circumstance is out of my control. I want to feel happy inside. I'm going to try something. And that is the promise of Jesus. Not that he will change the external circumstances. Jesus says, hey, listen, as you go through these difficult times, not only will I be with you, I can give you peace. Paul says that we can have peace that passes understanding. I love that phrase. Jesus is like, I can give you a peace that won't make sense. I can give you joy and purpose and hope no matter what your circumstances look like. People will look and be like, how are you like peaceful and joy-filled and hopeful and, and have a purpose in this moment? Don't you see what's happening around you? Jesus is like, I can give you internal immunity from the pain of outside circumstances. Yes, it will be painful. Yes, it will be difficult. Yes, there will be ups and downs. But no matter what, Jesus is like, I will walk it with you, and I can give you a peace that you cannot explain. That is the message of Jesus. Not that life's going to be easy, but that when it is difficult, he is there, and he is, he is changing something inside, not just snapping his fingers for our, our circumstances, but changing something inside. Also, I want to say to those of you who find yourself in this season, as I said, my message is not like, just be okay, because God's alive. That's not my message. Uh, what I would say to you, is, in addition, is that God is big enough to take your pain. God is big enough to take your anger and your doubt and your questions and your confusion. I firmly believe that God would 100% rather us authentically say, I love you, than falsely say, or excuse me, authentically say, I hate you, than falsely say, I love you. God desires our heart, God desires our honesty, not our performance. And so if you're in this season, 100%, the Lord would say, hey, give me everything you got. I'm big enough to take it. Your anger, your doubt. If you don't believe me, go read uh, Psalm 77 or Psalm 88, both of these books, and there's more, but those specifically, the writers are pouring out their doubt and anger and pain at God. You're reading it kind of like, did this make it through the editing room? Like, this is in the Bible, and they're talking to God this way? But it's because God's like, I'm big enough to take it. I would prefer you to be honest and real with me because it's then that God can speak truth and he can begin to transform and give us that peace and give us that joy and give us that hope. So if you are going through a difficult time, don't feel like you got to deny it or distract from it or try to cover it up. Embrace it with God by your side because, he, because he's with you and he's doing something with it. In the story of Joseph, there's these uh, two key sentences. They're only a few verses apart, uh, but one happens when he's right here, and the other happens when he's right here. The same phrase, which I think is so great. In uh, Genesis 39, the first, uh, 39 verse 2, uh, says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. A few verses later, Genesis 39, 21, says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him faithful love. So God makes it clear. The, the, the peaks... And the valleys, I'm with you, and I'm doing something. My heart right now, and my prayer, is not that you would walk out of here necessarily feeling better. If you're in a pit, if you're in a valley, I for sure can't change your circumstance. Nothing in, you know, today, and nothing's just going to fix a painful, difficult circumstance. You can't snap your fingers and do that. But I hope that when you walk out of here, while your circumstances might be the same, your perspective will not be. That now you will know or at best choose to believe God is with you and he's doing something for good. Your pain is real, but so is God. And we are promised again and again in God's word. Jesus says, I'm with you. 
help me, let me carry it with you. I will carry it with you. And as we walk together through the power of the Holy Spirit that nothing else can do, he can give us peace and purpose and joy and hope no matter where we are on the spectrum. That's the kind of love that Jesus offers, not just to fix things and make things happy, but to transform us into the kind of people that no matter if we're up or down, we're good. Uh, some of you type A personalities might be real stressed out. Now you're like, is he going to f- just talk about why he did a looper song at the beginning? Like, he beatboxed and then just talked. That was so annoying. And you're like, I see people leaving because they're like, I don't like this church. They're beatboxing and I don't know why they're doing that. Uh, so I don't, yeah, you, some of you might have seen uh, similar uh, tools like this before. You know, uh, there's a lot of musicians. Jason Mraz does it and Ed Sheeran and stuff. Like, a lot of guys who use like looper technology to create kind of their own songs. There's a, um, a comedian named Reggie Watts who is probably the most brilliant human in the whole world. He is just, he is musically talented, super funny, big afro, he's awesome. He's a, actually, he's the music guy for, who's the British late, James Corden. He's the music guy for James Corden, but before that, uh, he was a touring, I say it's stand-up comedian, that sells him so short. He was a improv, uh, improv music comedian. It's not a thing, but he was it. And so he would travel around, and he would just walk up on stage and create these, like, elaborate loops. And I just remember the first time I heard it, just my face blew up. It was, like, just the most amazing thing I ever heard. I saw him live in Chicago a bunch of years ago. It was great. Um, but when I started the song, and if you've ever heard a musician do that, uh, when, when they start the song, there might be some of you that thought, most of you, as I did it, were like, this doesn't sound great. Or, or, you know, at best, you're like, this doesn't sound complete, like there's something missing. And had I just done, like, my first track, and somebody stood up and was like, it doesn't sound good, that would have been rude. So first of all, thank you for not doing that. Uh, but had you said that, like, just at the beginning, I would have responded like, yeah, but hang on, but I, I know the end of the song. Like, I know what it's going to sound like, and it's not complete yet, but I just need to build a couple things, and then the moment I started singing, you all were like, oh, we've heard this before, like, you got the song then. But in the, in the middle or in the beginning, when it didn't maybe sound great, and some of you are like, this is, this is really awful, I knew what it was supposed to sound like. I knew the end of the song and where we were going. I, I say that to say, God is the composer of our lives. When we follow him, when we surrender to, to him, he is the one that has created us with gifts and a purpose in our life. And there might be moments in the middle or early on where we're like, Lord, this doesn't make sense. Or this is really difficult. This is really painful. Why is this a part of my life? I believe God might say to us, yeah, but I, I know the end of the song. I know what your story, I know the end of your story. And whether this was meant to happen to you or not, I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it for good for the end of the story. At any point in Joseph's story, nobody would have thought this was possible, ever. Joseph, you know, favored by his dad, he's like, it's going to be good life. Nobody would have been like, you might be number two in Egypt someday. No. But God took these circumstances, meant for evil, falsely accused, thrown in prison, and he ends up the most powerful man in the greatest nation in the ancient world. God knows, and that's enough. Uh, I want to read one final verse uh, before we close here. This is from... Uh, Jeremiah 29, and this is like, a, it's like boiling in here. You guys hot? Man, I'm like sweating through my, I should be cooler in my golf shirt, but I'm not. It's like, I feel like I'm, it's like in the south in the 50s. I need like a rag wherever I'm preaching. Anyway, okay, it's a weird image. Okay, uh, so this verse from Jeremiah, and it's a real famous verse. A lot of people like it. People have it framed or like crocheted in their, I've never crocheted. I don't know, if that, is that how you do it? I've, I've it clearly never done it, but you know, it's like knitted and stuff in your grandma's bathroom and stuff. It's a really, really famous verse uh, that people use a lot as an encouragement, and it is. It's a great encouragement, but the context of when God spoke this over his people is oftentimes missed. 
Uh, This was a moment in Israel's history where they were way down here. They had just been uh, conquered by Babylon. The city was destroyed. Their temple was destroyed, like this holy place where they worship Jehovah, worship God. Uh, They are hauled off as slaves and servants uh, to serve this conquering nation. Like, things are just in disarray. Things are broken. People are confused and angry and in pain, separated from families. Like, there is a ton of pain going on in this moment. And Jeremiah speaks this prophecy uh, over his people. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet uh, because the stuff that he uh, prophesied about was during a time, like, incredibly difficult time of the, I don't know if he actually was like, <laughs> I don't know if he was really weeping while he wrote it, but that's, he's called the weeping. He also wrote Lamentations. There's a real upper for scripture. Let's lament. Let's read the lament one. Yeah, because it was a bummer of a time. But this prophecy in Jeremiah 29:11 comes right in the middle of this incredibly deep valley that God's people were in. Here's what God says to his people. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. My entire sermon this morning is contained in these few words. That God says he knows your plans, and they are plans for good not disaster. Even if you are in the middle of a disaster, God's like, this isn't the end of the song. I can take this and use it for good. And you will have a future and you will have hope in the midst of this pain. God also says, in those days when you're down here, when you pray, I'll listen because I'm right with you. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me because I'm right here. So to those of you down in a valley, down in a pit. I pray that you leave here encouraged, knowing that God can and will take whatever circumstance you're in. And if you surrender to him, he will use it for good. And there will be a time, because God is faithful to complete the work that he has started in us, there will be a time when you will look back and realize what God was doing and thank him for And as God does that, as we go through our pain and these difficult circumstances, he is present and doing something powerful. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that you are uh, the kind of God who doesn't just want to change our circumstances, um, doesn't, doesn't choose the easy way out because you love us enough to do something much more powerful and much more permanent, which is transform us from the inside out. Lord, I lift up those in this room who find themselves in a moment or season of deep pain or confusion. Uh, First off, Lord, I just want to pray for the humility and boldness for them to surrender to you, to maybe stop trying to fix it ourselves, trying to make ourselves feel better, but, Lord, to surrender to you, the only one who can give us hope and peace and joy despite our circumstances, no matter how bad they can be. So, Lord, I pray for surrender across this room. And Lord, I also just pray that you would make your presence known to them, maybe in a small way, maybe even right now, just in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you would just tap on the shoulder to say, hey, I'm here. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. Let me help carry that burden of anger and pain and doubt and fear. But I'm here. God, I pray that we would be people who, uh, whether we're above the line or below the line, hold on to the faith, knowing that you can and will take whatever we're going through and use it for good. And as we walk through that, you will never, ever leave our side. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.